there almost never is a good reason why we have to press the same 12 buttons every time. So we, we basically took those 12 buttons, made it into one button, and then we were able to run one or one and a half additional loads per shift because the operator wasn't sitting there hitting the button. If you can show them that you can make measurable difference in their lives and make their lives better, they are going to be your, your biggest advocates out of anyone. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. If you ask any manufacturer, they will tell you that the shop floor is where you make money. You need to make sure you have the right material and the right operator at the right machine. Wasting machine or machinist time is equally expensive, but then your margins may be tight and you need to make sure you are profitably able to produce the job by optimizing the cycle time. You also need to make sure that you service your equipment at the right time or you have the risk of disruptions. So how many different systems does the shop floor need and how to create the system architecture to enable the smart factory? In today's episode, we invited a cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss shop floor information architecture. We covered many grounds, including the stories related to shop floor information architecture across various manufacturing industries of various sizes. Finally, we discussed what companies need to do to take advantage of Industry 4.0 technology and architectural patterns. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. For today, we are going to be picking the topic called shop floor information architecture. So uh, before we uh, do that, we are going to ask everybody to introduce themselves. So Tom, I'm actually going to start with you. Would you mind introducing yourself? Not at all, Sam. Thanks very much. Um, my name is Tom Rodden. I am the CIO at Varian Medical Systems. And uh, this is an exciting topic for me because uh, I am not only an IT professional now, but in a former life, uh, when I worked for GE, uh, I spent about 10 years uh, running the supply chain in one of the GE business units. Um, so uh, uh, this is very near and dear to my heart in multiple ways, systems and supply chain. So great to be here. And Tom, you are going to enjoy this panel. I'm telling you, this is the, the <laughs> most powerful panel that we have had so far. Um, you are absolutely going to love it. Okay, so I'm actually going to uh, move to Mark next. Mark, uh, would you mind introducing yourself, if you don't mind? Sure. Uh, my name is Mark Lilly. I'm president and CEO of Lillyworks. Uh, I'm very excited to be on the panel today. Um, we help manufacturers solve the late problem, um, specifically with um, uh, and by improving their production uh, production management capabilities and visibility on the shop floor. So for that reason, very excited about today's conversation. 
Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Mark, for the first time. We are super excited as well to have you. Dave Chrysler, can I move to you next for your introduction? Sure. Hey, everybody. My name is Dave Chrysler, and I own a company called the Chrysler Club. We are operations consultants working with manufacturing, construction, and cannabis owners to help them create systems to reclaim their life and grow their business. And I come to you with more than 20 years in manufacturing, uh, directly working on the shop floor and throughout leadership, implementing ERP systems. Thanks for having me, Sam. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. Uh, now, Dave Griffith, I think we are going to have a little challenge here with names. So, Dave Griffith, would you mind introducing yourself next? No, absolutely. Thank you, Sam. Hey, everyone. My name is Dave Griffith. I run a company called Kaplan Solutions. Uh, we help manufacturing companies go through digital transformation processes that pay for themselves. And so, with us, much of that is working with operators and people directly on the shop floor, connecting them to all the other systems that we're going to talk about later today, and then finding ways to make decisions uh, with the data we've been able to capture. Thank you for having me, Sam. And Dave, you know what I'm looking for today. I am looking for the debate to get a little intense, uh, especially we have IT and OT together in the same room. Uh, so hopefully you guys can deliver on that. Thank you so much for being here. <laughs> Jennifer, can I ask you to introduce yourself next? <laughs> yeah. Hi, everybody. My name is Jennifer Heron. I'm CEO and founder of Action Engineering. And we empower model-based visionaries uh, to use digital data in the design, manufacturing, and inspection space. And we're really intensely focused on how we get folks to adopt discrete manufacturing tools like CAD and digital design solutions, CAM solutions, digital metrology solutions, and digital twin technologies. And uh, we have lots of experience working with small companies, medium, large companies, and, uh, and connecting the silos of design, manufacturing, inspection, which we know are typically quite isolated from one another. And we would really like them to all work together so that the products are better and of higher quality. Yeah, and this is going to be even more fun because now we have IT, OT, and engineering as well in the same <laughs> Can you believe this? Okay, yeah. this is going to be so much fun, guys. All right, so I am actually going to start with Tom first, you know, and my goal to sort of setting up this stage is going to be if you can talk about a specific story, and that is going to be a specific, uh, you know, business or business model, uh, and if you can describe the, the kind of, you know, products uh, you were building as part of that business and what was their business model like, and then finally describe the system and architecture as far as the shop floor goes. So do you want to share your story, Tom? Sure, I can try and do that briefly here, Sam. Um, so I'll use the example uh, of the company I've been at for the last 14 years, Marion Medical Systems. Um, I've not only been the uh, IT leader uh, of the application space before becoming CIO, but also uh, we did implement not only an ERP, but an MES uh, shop floor system and a constellation, a small constellation of other systems. So I hope I can describe the, the architecture and that collection of systems for you. Our overall um, uh, mission at Varian is to fight cancer. We produce radiation therapy equipment, um, which are basically very large machines, the size of a CAT scanner or an MRI machine. Um, but these are not for diagnostics. These are for treatment. So the, the machine generates a laser beam and then fires that into human bodies 
uh, to kill the cancer cells in tumors. Um, so this is one of the three forms of, of cancer treatment between surgery, chemo, and radiation. So um, these are very expensive machines uh, and multi-million dollar machines that uh, we produce. And um, we have a number of factories around the world, but um, they're all following fundamentally the same process. So we start with the ERP. Um, so uh, system number one in the, in the architecture. And that's where we are generating uh, our production orders from MRP runs. Um, and from there, uh, we use uh, uh, an MES system. Uh, it happens to be SAP, but uh, it could be something else. Um, so we have an interface between uh, the SAP ERP and the SAP MES system, uh, actually, they call it ME. So that's the second system in this architecture. Uh, and there is a copy of the ERP production we're brought into the MES system. Um, that interface is through a third piece of the architecture called MII in, in SAP's parlance. So now we have three parts to the architecture. Um, and that is, that is a critical integration and also dashboarding uh, tool for reporting. Um, and monitoring of the performance of the MES system um, and of machines that we'll get to in a minute. So we now have three parts to the architecture. Uh, and we'll go through uh, the, the MES flow uh, where uh, parts are staged and uh, that's all still in the ERP system really, but as they're consumed on a production line uh, where we're making the machines uh, and a back flushing process takes place to consume the components we get to a point where we have produced uh, an assembly. Um, and again, these are large machines. So there's many stations along the way producing uh, assemblies uh, that will ultimately be assembled into the final product. The, uh, the vendor parts are serialized in many cases, not maybe all, we don't have serialized screws, but um, any significant parts are serialized by the vendors. Um, as we build our assemblies, we are serializing them. So at the point at which we produce a, an assembly and receive it in inventory and consume the components that went into it, that triggers a fourth system in our architecture, uh, a barcoding tool. And uh, I think we use a, a, a tool, a software product called Loftware, but there are many out there. Yeah. Um, in any case, um, that's, that's yet another part of the architecture. Uh, we're serializing the components. Um, we'll build it into a final assembly. There's also uh, throughout this process, a scanning of the components as they are brought to the line, uh, a scanning of the subassembly to receive it back into inventory. So this is a fifth element to our architecture, um, another barcode scanning tool. And uh, we then have um, a process also, I guess it's not really sequential here, it's all happening more or less simultaneously. Um, but uh, as we are making use of um, the, uh, the parts, we are also employing tools that are carefully calibrated uh, and we must scan the tools as well uh, in order to ensure that we are using um, legitimately certifiable calibrated tools. And that is all recorded, the parts, the, the user, the, the, the calibrated tool, 
in the device history record that we're generating uh, without any paper throughout this process that will ultimately enable us to present uh, a robust uh, final device history record to the FDA or anyone who might be looking for evidence that we followed our processes and uh, that, that the device is um, of high quality at, 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 through a, a, a quality process. But uh, the amazing thing, I didn't even know this until I checked with one of my team yesterday, but there was also a, a, another integration, a, a sixth part to our solution, which is um, uh, something called plant connectivity or PICO, a piece of software that uh, connects the, um, the uh, MES system to the devices themselves. Uh, for example, telling the device the amount of torque that should be applied when screwing the bolts. Um, and this element uh, is, you know, a sixth piece of the architecture. And, uh, and that enables us again, that, that'll all be recorded uh, in the device history record. And uh, I, I think those smart tools and the integration of that is, uh, is, is uh, there's, there's several, several different smart tools. That, that was just one sort of the, uh, the, the bolt tightening uh, device. But um, those, those are the fundamental parts of the architecture for us. So I hope I haven't taken too much time, Sam, but I just wanted to lay that out for people so they have you know, kind of a, a case and see where these fit in. So, by the way, this is great description, you know, amazing context in terms of the story, uh, you know, absolutely love it. But when my, the OT folks are trying to listen to this episode, obviously they are interested in everything, but they are, you know, primarily interested in number six, okay? For them, <laughs> number six is going to be OT, everything else is going to be IT. Did you have any other components in the OT side? And I am actually looking for some more details Overall, how your networks were structured, because OT is going to have very different network in terms of the connectivity, how OT and IT networks are going to be, whether they share the same network, different network, because you are in the medical device business. Now, this is a serious business from the cybersecurity perspective. So I'm pretty sure you guys have thought this out, right? So uh, I don't know if your networks were isolated, uh, same uh, from the OT and IT perspective, from do you have any more colors there by any chance? The networks are not isolated. Okay. Um, the net, it's the same network. I did miss one. I just looked at my notes. I did miss one um, further, maybe IT tool, as you, you call it, Sam, but the work instructions. So okay. the work instructions are actually stored on yet another system, which is um, kind of uh, uh, very secure. Um, and uh, these are PDFs, so not easily changeable. Um, going through a document approval process. So we're using a, a document management uh, server and uh, solution. And those are called real time into uh, a view within the MES uh, as people are proceeding through the manufacturing process. So that's the seventh piece of the architecture that I, that I left out in my initial description. Okay, love it. Thank you so much, Tom. So I'm actually going to move to Mark. So Mark, do you have your story ready in terms of the architecture, the business model? Sure. Uh, thanks, Sam. Um, typically, our our clients and uh, the type of manufacturing companies I, I deal with are, are much smaller in scale uh, than than I think Tom's enterprise certainly. I mean, we're talking about five five to fifty million, maybe a hundred million in size. Um, there, uh, many many don't have an ERP, um, or even if they do have an ERP, they're they're running production off of spreadsheets. 
Um, so, so the architecture is really, you know, certainly they have um, machines, whether they're CNC machines or, uh, you know, your mills and your lathes and whatnot. Maybe some have robotics. Uh, certainly most have a, an internal network uh, that m maybe those machines are, are tied into. Maybe they're not. Um, some do machine monitoring, right, for um, uh, overall equipment efficiency measurements, things like that. Um, but in general, um, and I think the, the, my main uh, point in terms of the architecture would be in, in spite of a lot of, you know, nice uh, technology that's out there, what, what we find is a, a lot of companies still struggle with um, getting their products out on time. So um, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure Tom and a, a company his size had, has nailed this. Um, but uh, uh, companies of the size that we typically deal with, um, they struggle with simple things like where where is my where's the work order? Right. Um, how is it progressing uh, in any work center? What 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 do I work on next? And even those who have an MES system, for example, you know what really what are the priorities that are being fed into the MES? Right. What what are the signals there? is material part of the equation. Um, you know, do I, it's nice to understand your priorities, but do I have the material here to actually execute on these priorities? And, and if not, when, when might I have that? So it's, um, what we find is a lot of the struggle of, of dealing with these simple questions. Where is the work order? How is it progressing? What do I do next? And then you get into the, the future looking, right? Like, and so every every salesperson is bugging production. When is my customer going to be able to get their order? Right. So so now now you're looking into future and you're looking at evaluating capacity and all the hundreds, maybe thousands of other jobs and work orders you have in production. And how how can you actually come up with an answer that um, your salesperson, let alone your customer, is going to believe? Right. So. OK, amazing. So thank you so much for the story and the description. And my understanding here would be based on the description that you provided that, you know, whatever Tom is doing, obviously, you know, we are going to have those six or seven components. In addition to that, in your architecture, you are probably going to have one more component, which is going to actually decide the priority uh, of the work order because the core ERP system or the MRP system, obviously, they are not as good at the priority. We all know that right? uh, when meeting the real world uh, needs. So do you want to paint a little bit more colors uh, into, you know, if you have seen more systems in the architecture or is this the extent of it that, you know, they can live simply with either the ERP system, ERP plus prioritization system, plus MES system, plus I don't know what right. else. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. It's it's a real it's a real mishmash. And I guess my, my point would be is is regardless of the fact that they may have a very high end ERP, they may have machine monitoring. They may have, you know, all sorts of CAM and engineering tools. Um, many, many clients uh, still struggle with this uh, this idea of, of being able to answer these questions, of being able to get their products out on time. Um, what you know, one of the one of the simple things we find is the manufacturing in in North America is is very much make to order it's custom it's it's high mix low volume right all, all not all most of the repetitive stuff has gone overseas so what you find in in that is is the systems especially the scheduling tools whether embedded in an ERP or outside as bolt-ons today 
they use a priority method essentially based on a due date. Well, the problem with that is in a high mix environment, you're, you're going to have work orders that are due, say, two months from now that are much more in danger of being late if you don't get started on it today than a work order that may be due just a just a week or two from now. Right. Based upon how many operations it needs to go through, does it have to go outside services and back two or three times and so on and so forth. So by prioritizing things on due date, you're looking at and you're working on things that are that are due sooner at the expense of those uh, jobs or work orders that are due much later. Uh, this is why I believe we see a lot of companies, uh, again, regardless of the number of systems that they have, that are, are kind of caught in that constant catch up mode. They're, they're, tr they're always trying to, to catch up. If you have an expediter, some companies have multiple expediters, especially at the end of the month. Um, that's that's a really strong symptom of uh, of, of this type of, of, thing, of, of effect. OK, amazing. Thank you so much, Mark, for that amazing insights there. And, uh, you know, Jennifer, you are going to hate me for this. But, you know, when we talk about the, the CAD system or any of the desktop tools, uh, you know, I don't necessarily care, you know, how many tools you want to use, because that's not part of the enterprise transactions and the enterprise bus. Uh, that does not really impact the core operational process. Uh, you know, for us, when we look at the at the enterprise architecture, uh, we are really looking at the systems that are really impacting our core pro processes that are actually impacting our order processing, that are impacting disrupting our machines. Uh, sure, maybe CAD tools, uh, you know, can do that as well. But for the most part, they are going to be slightly more siloed uh, from the architecture. So we don't have as much impact. Uh, on the architecture. So Dave, uh, Chrysler, I'm actually going to move to you for your story. Do you have, have you seen similar number of, uh, you know, systems more because you have been on the shop floor a lot more than these guys. Uh, so have you seen more systems in the architecture or less? Yeah, I would say, thanks, Sam. Uh, I would say overall, it has probably been less in the environments that I uh, have had experience with. So, um, Tom, I appreciate you kind of going through and, and sharing, um, you know, the architecture that you guys are currently working in. Uh, I'm sure that introduces uh, a handful of challenges on your shop floor. <laughs> Having been there, I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. So, uh, you know, the companies that I work with now and in, in both in my past, uh, there's a lot of job shops. Uh, and so, you know, typically in that environment, from an architecture standpoint, we're going to look to simplify as best as possible. Yeah. Mark, I think you did a really nice job of kind of laying out some of the challenges that those types of companies come across on a pretty frequent basis. And, um, you know, you see that or I've seen that kind of play out in the architecture. So what I mean by that is you may have a um, small, you know, manufacturing facility that is somewhere in the you know 10 to 20 million dollar a year range uh that has a erp system with an integrated you know scheduling module in there with some integrated business intelligence in there that's a lot of the background that i have uh with the systems that i've seen and, and come into contact with and um you know depending on the specific type of manufacturing uh, business. So Sam, I can share with you uh, one of the print manufacturing companies yep. uh, that I've worked with in the past. You know, I'll, I'll give you two different examples, both from the same industry. So one uh, print manufacturing company had a ERP system that then 
kind of tacked on a lot of, um, I don't want to say a lot, but a couple of different bolt-on products to help with the scheduling side, the data collection side, as it, as it, as it relates back into ERP, because that was one of those facilities happened to be a, a standard costing facility. So we needed to capture that data out on the shop floor, uh, which I know is your favorite. So I wanted to throw that in there. And the other one, um, you know, and I should say uh, that one also had a bolt-on system uh, for the CAD CAM, the engineering side of things, because that was a uh, converting facility. So they also had to keep track of individual um, dies uh, to do the converting process. So in that kind of entire uh, system, what we had was you had the ERP, uh, obviously, on the top end of that, and then that connected to... Um, uh, the CAD CAM system from a, a kind of planning and resource standpoint, and then uh, connected to both the scheduling and to the um, data collection side of that. And the other uh, example that I'll give is kind of one that was fully integrated. This happened yeah. to be an ERP solution that was industry specific or more industry specific than uh, my first example. Yeah. And in that case, uh, this particular ERP had modules that addressed kind of all of those components that we just walked through. So, um, you know, the accounting piece, the CRM piece, the uh, production piece, uh, which handled data collection uh, as well as the uh, business intelligence piece. So that was kind of wrapped up all into one and challenges in both. But from my perspective, being out on the shop floor, anytime I go into an environment, I'm looking for ways to streamline what we're already doing uh, from a systems perspective. Because what I've found is a lot of times people will just grab that bolt on and try to make something work when there could be an opportunity to kind of, uh, instead of recreating something bad that we already have, might be the best opportunity to kind of recreate something new moving forward. So. Okay, amazing, amazing description there for the story. So I am going to have just one follow-up question. What did you guys do for the asset uh, maintenance? Was that handled as part of the ERP or did you have a separate bolt-on add-on for that? How did, uh, you know, plant managers uh, manage the asset? Yeah, it was, so asset tracking was done in the ERP. Uh, all of the maintenance associated with the assets were handled in a manual system outside. Uh, so in um, several of those uh, facilities, um, it was not, a, I would say, is not a significant enough asset list to have a, a full-blown system uh, to handle the maintenance uh, aspect of it. And the asset was uh, tracked just, just from the uh, cost allocation side uh, in the ERP. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave Freisler. And Dave, with it, obviously, I'm going to move to you next. But before that, you know, you came with a lot of hope that I am going to be hearing a lot of Industry 4.0. OT stuff, but where is that? <laughs> this conversation has become really boring. Okay, so that's why we have you here. Uh, you know, so, okay, talk to us. So obviously, from the OT side of things, the only thing matters here is probably going to be the PICO system. Uh, Pico or Pico, uh, you know, uh, uh, Tom mentioned. So describe to us, you know, what is happening in the industry for our zero community? Because there's a lot going on. And uh, daily, I am hearing one extra acronym or the system, and it could be very confusing. 
how to create the architecture around industry 4.0 in my experience so describe the the whole stack and what you have seen in your story and where these companies are really lacking in the architecture as far as the industry 4.0 maturity goes well i'm i'm glad you asked me kind of that very easy question sam so so thank you for throwing that softball up um I would say kind of generally, uh, as, as to what everyone has talked about already, less is more. So when we look at what an architecture looks like, when we look at number of systems and number of integrations, I think less is always more. And the less moving parts, the less kind of bolt-ons that we have, the better and better that we will become as, as a manufacturing community. Um, so specifically within the industry.4 solutions, um, we hear kind of a lot of people have many different opinions. Uh, the one thing that I feel like we can say is that there is no standard. And so that's kind of the baseline that I have when I go in and I talk to customers is what does this industry 4.0 or what does this digital transformation mean for you? Because for all of them, they're going to have a goal as to where they're going to want to get as with their company. And it's our goal as industry professionals to help lead them down the path and help them solve whatever their problem becomes. Um, and then if I may, Sam, uh, with an example, um, yeah. so I, I was working uh, with a company. I spent a number of years working with them. Uh, they make fittings and flanges. And so okay. as, as I go in, I was talking about an MES system. So MES is manufacturing execution systems. Um, basically kind of it's, it's a series of data collections and visualizations to allow us to know what's happening on the manufacturing floor and if we're doing better or worse than expected. So we, of course, go in and have that conversation about MES, and then we walk out on the shop floor and absolutely nothing is connected. And that is how I go and find, you know, many different customers is, is they want to do this. They, they want that silver bullet of Industry 4.0, but they have quite literally nothing connected. And so because they don't have anything connected, a lot of that is understanding where they are, kind of looking at those asset lists, as we had discussed earlier. And then from that, going and actually doing a lot of the physical networking. Uh, we don't kind of have to get into the nuts and bolts of networking on the OT side because we could spend the next 12 hours talking about that. Uh, but again, kind of going through the process and building up an architecture. And then once we've built up an architecture, how we connect to the PLCs and the HMIs to be able to pull the data into servers where those servers live. And then from that point, kind of going and redoing many of the basics, uh, be it PLC code, because we have to um, upgrade, upgrade PLCs, or maybe we've got to go and do better uh, visualizations uh, on the HMIs, the human machine interfaces um, at this particular facility. And one of the reasons why I talk about kind of the importance of all the little things is uh, one of the people I was working with, they were talking to an operator of a box furnace, right? It's quite literally a furnace that is a large box that, you know, the, the slide goes down and they heats for whatever the heat treat cycle is. Well, uh, one of their issues, one of their key pain points on the, on the shop floor was that this operator had to press the same 10 or 12 buttons every single time in order to go run a batch. And so, you know, you go through a relatively simple process of determining if there's a reason why we have to punch those 12 buttons. Um, it all, there almost never is a good reason why we have to press the same 12 buttons every time. So we, we basically took those 12 buttons, made it into one button, and 
then we were able to run one or one and a half additional loads per shift because the operator wasn't sitting there hitting the buttons. And so th that's just kind of one of the examples of talking to the operators on the shop floor because they know the biggest issues that you are going to find. And they're going to be, you know, if you can show them that you can make measurable difference in their lives and make their lives better, they are going to be your, your biggest advocates out of anyone Um at the facility. And so kind of from that point, we did the exact opposite of what was Tom was talking about um, in his example is we basically built from the ground up. So now we've got these machines networked, we're pulling data into the servers, we're building some SCADA, so supervisory control and data acquisition systems, which helps to visualize, you know, the machines and the lines. And then we're going and building MES and building some data acquisition uh, systems to be able to go and showcase what actually is happening in the facility. Um, and then as part of that, there were barcode scanners. Uh, we did some serialization. Uh, to, to Mark's point, we absolutely did some scheduling because that in many facilities I go to is a, is a major issue. And I feel like Mark must have been listening into my conversations in the last week and a half because like it, it hits so close to I uh, hit so close to home um, with that. Uh, this facility was slightly different. They were actually made to stock and that's one of their things. So they had huge amounts of stock every uh, stock everywhere. And so it was a made to stock as opposed to a, a made to order facility. Uh, but like j just that one particular example of we can now go and run an extra, you know, one or one and a half heat treat loads per day. We, we did the calculations and it was worth something like an extra million dollars because they didn't have to physically buy another machine and because they didn't have to physically buy another and they didn't have space for another machine. So it would be, we have to build a building, we have to build another machine. And so th there are many different opportunities while looking at taking some of this technology and bringing it out on, out on the plant floor that are going to help, you know, not only the bottom line of the businesses, but the you know, moving and everything of the operators. And once we can get input from them and once they have become our champions, we're now able to do much more of these, you know, higher value initiatives and implement many more of these other IT systems and be able to do that much smoother. Okay. First of all, you know, great description of the story. Great journey about the user as well. Uh, by the way, I'm definitely interested in going uh, a little bit more into details uh, because, you know, in my case, when I look at, you know, if I'm positioning myself as the ERP, I get like two guys. Okay. Yep. And if you look at the industry 4.0 attention, okay, if you look at the industry 4.0 community on Clubhouse, we have 7,000 people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> industry 4.0 solutions has, has uh, you know, 2,000 people. So mm -hmm. they must be doing something there, right? And here you are saying that, you know, this is just one system, which is MES system. Tom mentioned that you have the MES. MES is talking to Eco. So what is so involved in the architecture that IT people don't understand? Do you want to go a little, uh, you know, one level deeper? And what should be part of the enterprise bus when we are going to be connecting these systems as opposed to them being siloed? If an operator is simply utilizing a system based on a machine that does not talk to anybody else, I'm okay, you know, whatever you want to do there, I, I don't have any problem. But when it is going to talk to the main bus, and that is going to be impacting the transactions, then I am probably going to have some issues. And I also have some issues with the network connectivity as well. Uh, you know, how these networks are actually going to be talking to each other, and who's going to be controlling the, the cybersecurity processes. So do you want to go a little uh, deeper into the story by any chance? 
A- absolutely. So I would like to point out that the, the, the person, the IT person in this company, his name was Ralph. He was the best IT kind of compatriot I will probably ever have because very early on we made the decision of, you know, he handles all of the IT stuff. You know, we handle all of the OT stuff. We are partners in this. We're going to work together in order to figure out whatever makes the most sense uh, for the company. And, and so for me, the, 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 best goal is to have kind of a Ralph on the other side of every single one of these conversations is to have a partner on the IT side who we speak the same language and we have the same end goal. And they know, you know, this is what they're very good at. You know, they're good at the networking. They're good at the IT side. You know, let us bring some OT networking experience in. Let us bring, you know, kind of the OT experience in and we'll work together in order to uh, to go ahead and uh, and figure out the, the best solution. So I would say the goal has to be to kind of turn those potentially negative conversations that we, we all hear about, especially on LinkedIn, uh, from, you know, the IT side of, you know, we're nearly having fisticuffs with the IT people because, you know, they, they claim they want to own the process. So I have found in my experience, the IT people almost never want to own the OT process. Many times it's the executive people pushing and trying to force the OT, the IT people to learn additional protocols to kind of figure out what all of this looks like on the plant floor. And a lot of that pushback is because they don't want to do it because they're probably you know, well oversaturated with the amount of work they have with, with, you know, Sam calling up and saying, Hey, my computer's not working. And them saying, have you turned it on and off again? Uh, right. So, so there, there are a lot of those people. And in my experience, you know, the IT people don't necessarily want to own the process that they want to find a good partner kind of in this journey in order to be able to go through and figure out what that looks like. And so kind of my best suggestion for that is find people on the IT side. You know, a lot of time in larger like Fortune 50, Fortune 500s that I've worked with, uh, similar to Tom's example, you know, they'll have SAP. And so a lot of times I've found people on the MII side, on the MII team are kind of the, the best people that I want to work with because they understand that OT, they understand that industrial data, and they have those connections within in their organization in order to go through and, and make things uh, make things work. Um, I would also say that in this example, Sam, so we built this system on inductive automation's ignition. And so it's much more flexible. It's, it's quite literally a platform, right? So I build a lot of things on platforms and all of my IT people can go ahead and cringe because he said the platform word, you know, generally I don't like to say platform, but it, it is a platform and you can build anything and everything that you want. Um, for many facilities, uh, looking back now, I realized that we built things that we should have bought, right? So it's kind of always the build versus buy. You know, you can build anything and everything on this platform. Sometimes it makes sense to build. So like we built all of the HMI screens, we built the MES, we built the SCADA all within this same platform. And then we, we, we I mean, we built, you know, bolt on, we, we built what could have been, you know, bolt on maintenance and training and other things with in this, maybe because we could, right? And so you, you can go ahead and build a lot of that within the correct platforms. If you're using something, uh, if, if you're using another software solution, then it becomes what is the best solutions that work uh, specifically for my system. And as I talked about in the beginning, it's kind of figuring out where they want to go. If you can figure out where the end user wants to go uh, within their process, you can help kind of say, hey, you know, maybe an SAP or, or maybe some other ERP is where we want to go down the line. Let's figure out and let's kind of 
go step by step back to where we are now of we have nothing networked in 50 year old PLCs and figure out what software and hardware we can pick that is going to help, you know, make us future proof in that industry 4.0 in that industry 4.0 process. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave, for that. Uh, so, Jennifer, I have best for the last, okay? Uh, so, obviously, you are going to provide a lot of insights from the industry 4.0 perspective, the kind of, you know, uh, you know, customers you are working with. So, tell us the architecture that you have seen in your experience. Yeah, well, you know, our work is about collecting information as digital 3D data and I suspect that lots of people are working today with document-based information. Uh, Tom, you mentioned how you've got uh, torque values, you know, set up in 3D work, or set, sorry, set up in work instructions that are in 2D PDF documents that are being accessed through the system. Well, as an example for that, when, when we build assemblies using 3D CAD data, that typically on a drawing looks like a note, you know, Torque these bolts per X spec, right? Um, what we're doing is actually putting that into attribute information that lives with the 3D geometry and is connecting to the actual bolt um, and the geometry so that it builds you a bill of characteristics that automatically sends into your shop floor systems so that you're not entering and re-entering data from drawing-based uh, information systems, um, you're actually getting a, a, a full digital thread from the engineering data through to the shop floor. So um, that's really important. And I think one of the architecture pieces that's kind of been missed from the conversation we have today is how CAD and PLM systems integrate with MES, ERPs, quality management systems, it's all, it, they're all interconnected. And when we start pulling in the, the threads of 3D data aspects from engineering into the fabrication and inspection phases of the life cycle, then we're starting to connect this data digitally. And it can sort of simplify, well, my hope is that it will simplify the complexity of kind of what we're discussing today because it's extremely complex. Uh, the systems that are out there today, and some of it's because they've kind of been cobbled together over hundreds of years, really, right? <laughs> um, and those systems and those processes, and we're just sort of stapling them all together in kind of a crazy Frankenstein on the shop floor. So um, when we when we talk about Industry 4.0 initiatives uh, and and that big visionary concept of digital data throughout the enterprise, it means many things to many many different people. But from our perspective, what we're looking at is that when the consumers of the information, whether it's a welder, whether it's the guy with the torque wrench, uh, whether it's um, a, a CNC programmer, whether it is a coordinate measurement machine programmer, whether it's uh, you know scanning with uh, X-ray technologies, the the product for inspection, we are trying to look at how they are consuming the data today so that we understand how to better author it in 3D digital data. So that's that's what we see. And when we go, we, we just did a shop floor um, set of interviews uh, with basically uh, assembly folks um, where they are putting together uh, um, uh, um, most of our work is in airspace and defense. 
Um, and so they're putting, so I can't tell you everything. <laughs> Else I'd have to kill you all. But um, so we, you know, we're, we're working in an assembly uh, of, um, you know, airplanes, engines, uh, spacecraft, that kind of thing. Um, we also work with the Department of Energy. So we're working with highly critical components that really need a very good set of instructions. And then the quality checks that are happening in there, um, if we can make those quality checks more connected to the products that they're actually seeing, that's where the, the 3D work instructions come into play. And, and we're establishing not only better connectivity for the humans who actually have to do like all the quality work and actually have to put it all together. You know, we're seeing huge benefits in, in navigation of 3D uh, models on the shop floor, but we're also um, tightening up the design to quality loop. And, and that's a, it, it's a really big uh, process step. And there's, there's about 20 different manual handoffs during, you know, from, from an engineering product to the quality product. Um, and it's, it's huge. And there's lots of room for error. So when we put things into 3D digital data, we start to eliminate a lot of those gaps across the way. So, okay. Yeah. So amazing, uh, you know, story and amazing insights about the the uh, you know 3D model. But for the purposes of the uh, you know today's conversation, we are really on the shop floor. So design is great. You know, I don't know if there is going to be any sort of collaboration during the design process with the shop floor. Sure, if you're creating any. It should be. <laughs> So I don't know, Amici, you want to talk about the the actual shop floor interaction that you experience in your Yeah, well, or... yeah. I mean, it, it's really important to understand that what you've got today is a drawing. And that drawing, that information, even though it's given to you on a static 2D PDF, it always authored in engineering data. But what we can do tomorrow is we can take that that engineering data and you can actually utilize it more direct directly on the shop floor. So it's a direct consumption of the engineering data. And it, it's also something that they can take that engineering data. We've got people that, um, especially at suppliers who take the model and then they basically deconstruct that model and build the in-process machine steps of how that model is built. So there's the geometry uh, has in-process steps all developed in 3D, and then that goes into the CNC machine to program uh, the CNC operations. So that's, that's the direct consumption of engineering data in 3D. What happens today on the shop floor is they're basically taking the drawing and they're recreating uh, you know, 3D plans uh, within the CNC tools that they have. Uh, and so, you know, that's that's something that we can start eliminating some of the manual data reentry gaps uh, in that process. Oh no, just uh, yeah, just in general. I mean, the uh, the the first first law of manufacturing, right, is uh, all benefits, you know, in a manufacturing company are directly related to the speed of flow of materials and information. So this is this is fascinating, quite honestly, because. Um, from Dave's, both everybody's comments, really. What we're what we're talking about is facilitating just that, and what Jennifer's talking about is getting that information to the folks who are making the decisions on the shop floor, 
to enable them to take the right actions to enable to, uh, the acceleration of the flow of materials through production. And, and there's just all sorts of benefits to that. Yeah, because what we're doing today, Mark, is that we're, we have a communication method and it's primarily the drawing or it's a, a set of documents that instruct um, the assembler technicians and, and the machine operators how to, to create the product. Um, and so we kind of think of ourselves as communication specialists, not so much as engineers, because we are trying to increase the clarity and the communication that we're driving. And then, oh, by the way, if we can get the machine tools to digitally consume directly information, then there's a huge benefit there. So, yeah, thanks for the that's a good yeah. that's a good rule of thumb. <laughs> Absolutely. My my other comment, if I may, was um, what, a little bit of what what Dave, what we've what I've seen over the years, and I've been I've been selling ERP and manufacturing software for an awful long time. Is especially in the '90s, there was this big big push for an, an end-to-end ERP system, right? You wanted everything in there. Well, well, now everything is just so huge, you know, from a from a CRM and the back end, you know, uh, data acquisition and everything in between. It's like Really, I, I think what what people and even even the suppliers are realizing more than anyone is is you can't you can't do everything right. You can't do everything well. So um, and I think with the with the integration capabilities, I mean we're we're talking about all these integration points. I think with with REST APIs and just the the other technology that's coming out, um, people are less afraid really of of integrating uh two two pieces of of data maybe even in different database technologies and getting those to talk um and we we've, we've seen that quite often where you know we're we're taking information from um uh, most ERPs have a SQL backend but we're we're even you know you guys probably have similar stories tied into ERP systems that are you know aren't even SQL and just able to pull that out, um, you know, on the on not all of the ERPs, but we're, we're seeing some of the ERPs are even even supporting the capabilities where uh, a change in the source data, like a change on a due date on a sales order or, or a production order goes can can be triggered and directly flow over to an MES or production system in real time and see that adjustment in priority. And, um, you know, that that just that just wasn't the case that that type of thing couldn't happen um, even, you know, 15 years ago. So, OK, amazing. Thank you so much, Mark. So we can probably do one more quick round, uh, you know, based on the time we have. Uh, so one of the key component of the architecture that nobody spoke about is probably going to be, you know, data lake. And I don't know, Tom, uh, whether you had a real data lake. And uh, if I talk to my friends at Splunk, uh, they are always going to say you have to have the data lake, uh, okay, in your as part of your enterprise architecture, because that's how you are going to get uh, you know insight from all of the 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 systems, and that's going to be your cumulative insight. And you don't want to keep too much data inside your ERP system because that's your operation system. It's gonna you know slow the system down, and you know if you are going to be changing your ERP system, obviously you are not going to have as much data from the medical device perspective. Obviously you need to have you know I don't know five seven years of history. Uh, that you need to keep uh, for your system. Now, if you look at the Industry 4.0 community, okay, they are arguing about very different things, and that is going to be real-time connectivity between the systems. So now we have things like MQTT, MQTT, uh, you know, OPC, <laughs> uh, UA, uh, you know, protocol that they are talking about that 
you know, every single edge device that you are going to have in your architecture needs to be connected in real time and they should be receiving instructions from your ERP. So the entire process needs to be connected with your robots, with your, uh, you know, vision systems that you are going to have uh, on the shop floor. So I don't know, Tom, do you feel comfortable with the industry 4.0 maturity uh, of the company that you work with? Would you have any sort of opinion in terms of how you can advance the capabilities overall from the industry 4.0 perspective? So I, I'm not not quite sure how to how to answer that that long question, Sam. Any quick commentary? Well, from a from a uh, operational reporting point of view and data point of view, we are committed to direct reporting out of the ERP and MES systems. Most of the interfaces between ERP and MES in our company are real time. The production order data, the material consumption data, uh, material master or product master updates. There are some things maintained only in MES, uh, so there's no need for any interaction or inter integration like routings. Um, they're only in MES now. Uh, it used to be in ERP, but we've, we've left that behind. So uh, I, I think we do subscribe to uh, much more of a real-time process. Uh, again, we didn't talk about uh, the electronic boards at different workstations and how that is a real-time monitoring process uh, throughout the manufacturing uh, shop floor. But all of that is drawing upon either ERP data or MES data directly and in real time. So if I missed your point, please let me let me know. But um, that was that was what I thought you were asking about. Yeah, uh, I think we are good. So I am going to have the short commentary from everybody in terms of the industry food or zero maturity. I'm going to simply build on, you know, what we discussed so far, I and Tom. So when we talk about the real-time connectivity, we are talking about real-time connectivity with the devices. Meaning when I have the robot on the shop floor, that robot is supposed to be receiving the instructions, performing the action, and then sending some information back to me because, you know, it relies on the instructions. So, Mark, I don't know if you're going to have any sort of commentary with the businesses that you work with. How is their industry 4.0 maturity in your experience? Yeah, absolutely. And to your point directly, um, our the, the way, as I mentioned, you know, a due date as a priority doesn't doesn't work for most high mix manufacturers. So we we use a different priority mechanism. Part of that priority mechanism is is the amount of work that's been reported complete. So the faster we can get that information, if we can get it directly from the machine, then your priorities are, are up to date in truly real time in terms of what, what needs to be worked on next. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Mark. Dave, what are going to be your thoughts overall, the businesses that you work with? Do you feel that they were com compliant and advanced overall in terms of the industry for our zero maturity? I think there's still a little ways away, the companies that I've worked with, Sam. I mean, um, from the connectivity on the, um, you know, industry side, the, the 4.0 industry side, I think that connected connectivity is happening in real time. But as it relates back to feeding that data into your ERP, I think that has still been segregated uh, in the installations that I've seen, the examples that I've seen. Um, and, and I think we're, at least with the companies that I've worked with, a ways away from seeing a, a real, real-time connection there. 
uh, in the size companies that I'm working with. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave. So, Dave Griffith, you are supposed to be representing the industry for our viewer community here. So, uh, you know, tell us overall from the community momentum perspective. I think there's a lot more as far as I can see. Would you agree with that the industry 4.0 is a lot more than uh, what these guys are thinking in terms of the real-time connectivity uh, of different devices, as devices, and uh, a lot of things can go on there? Yeah, so first I'd like to thank you for just setting me up for this, Sam, right? Like, <laughs> I, 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 I feel like that, that, that it's just a setup. But no, so I, I would say that I would imagine many of the facilities that we're talking about, like most of the facilities that, that I am looking at, you know, if they haven't had some major retrofit uh, gone, perhaps like what Tom um, and his group have been doing, you know, in the last 15 or 20 years, you know, a lot of our systems are disconnected. Right. And so if our systems are not connected, we can't possibly have real time. And so I, I think kind of the, the real time conversation that we're having in the industry 4.0 community is more so are our systems connected. Right. So if our systems are connected and, and we have back and forth connection and we're able to pull information from all of our lines, from all of our operating stations, then they should be real they should be real time as to the the debate as to what's real time versus not is not something we have time for uh luckily for all of us uh, in this conversation but no there are still many more facilities that need to have any sort of connection right as opposed to a report that they get at the end of a shift or the end of a day or the end of the week i would say there is a the vast majority of manufacturing in the united states especially what i've seen is much more the, we have this report, we get it at the end of the shift or the end of the week, and we don't really know what it means. And because we don't know what it means, we can't take actionable information uh, and we cannot take action kind of in the in-between. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Dave. Uh, Jennifer, I'm going to ask you, what do you feel? Do you feel that, uh, you know, the architecture and the companies that we have discussed so far, are they close to being industry 4.0 compliant? <laughs> Not really. Okay, good. Um... <laughs> Well, and, and I say not really because my my vision of Industry 4.0 is that we're really utilizing digital data seamlessly throughout the enterprise, and we're using it in much different ways than we're doing business today. And I think the, the challenge with where we are today is that people are just trying to make these little tiny tweaks, and it really is going to take a radical revolution of information architecture exchange to, to really get big benefits and they're out there, but you've got to make radical changes and you have to do business differently than you are doing it today. Um, and I think there's, there's real impacts that we've seen from COVID supply chain is a holy mess. Uh, and you know, we, we can really, if we use those pain points to our advantage to go ahead and make the changes that we've been talking about for the last, you know, 10, 15 years, then I think we can get further along and make better impacts. And then all the all the people in the shop floor that, that Dave and Tom t and, and Mark talked about really have better lives um, and, and their jobs are more fun and, and they're having a good time. We're leveraging digital natives who grew up with the digital data. So there's lots and lots and lots of opportunity. And in my mind, there's still lots of work to do. Okay, amazing. Thank you, much. So we are only going to take super short closing advice, maybe a few words. So Tom, I am going to start with you. Uh, maybe just one word or a couple of words. I, I have nothing more to add, Sam. So I'll, I'll, I'll let the experts in uh, 
the 4.0 world speak. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tom. Okay, uh, Mark, what is your uh, closing words? Yeah, so I think uh, I think Jennifer pretty much uh, nailed it. Um, you you've got to we've got to make the connection between what these these capabilities from an IT standpoint on the shop floor to the value and the benefits on not even the top floor, but even the medium right or in in the operations it, where where the heart of that manufacturing company is 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 uh, is producing. And once once that happens, once they see the connection, then I think this is going to take off. OK, amazing. Thank you so much, Mark. Uh, a few words. Uh, Dave Chrysler. Sure. Understand your processes and don't recreate something that is not already working. Love it. Thank you so much. Dave Griffith, a couple of words. Absolutely. So I would say less is more. Dream big, figure out what you want your facility to look like, and then start small and make small, actionable, impactful uh, initiatives to, to build momentum. Awesome. Jennifer, your words. I think that connected digital data scares people. But when you dive into your 2D static documentation methods and those processes, that should scare the hell out of you. Okay, awesome, guys. So that's it for today. On that note, I really want to thank everybody for your time as well as insights. Thanks. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, Sam. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing your knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Charm Rodden, head over to varian.com. It's V-A-R-I-A-N.com. If you want to learn more about Dave Griffith, head over to dave-griffith.com. It's D-A-V-E-G-R-I-F-F-I-T-H.com. If you want to learn more about Jennifer Heron, head over to action-engineering.com. It's A-C-T-I-O-N-E-N-G-I-N-E-E-R-I-N-G.com. If you want to learn more about Dave Chrysler, head over to thechrysler.club. It's T-H-E-C-R-Y-S-L-E-R.C-L-U-B. If you want to learn more about Mark Lilly, head over to lillyworks.com. It's L-I-L-L-Y-W-O-R-K-S.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Tom Harrop from Splunk, who shares his insights into the core reasons for the organizational divide between IT and OT. Also, the interview with Jason Anderson, who shares his insights into edge technologies and how manufacturers and field service companies can take advantage of them. Also, don't forget to subscribe and to spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, Please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.